I believe I'm on. Good morning, everyone. I'm so excited that you're here. I've been praying uh, for each one of you, every person that would be here uh, this morning. And what I want to do to start is just to invite a little bit of a pause. So I'm going to give you uh, just a few seconds here, a few moments, and I want you to, to ponder on these words before we open up the Word of God. In Romans 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, Paul is making this appeal. He's making an appeal to a Roman church that has to deal with all sorts of persecution, displacement, all the differences and challenges that maybe sometimes we don't really face. But he starts out by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So just, it's like an oxymoron, a living dead thing. God works best with dead things, dead people who are open to his leading. And so I'm going to give you just a few moments, just in the quietness of your own heart, to prepare your heart to receive. I don't know what the Lord wants to do, how the Spirit wants to speak or move or work today, but I do know this. He's definitely after us. He deeply wants us. He wants us to understand his love. So take a moment in the quietness of your heart, and then I'll get us started in a little bit. Well, Lord, we come here ready to hear from you. So remove all distractions. Make us good soil. Amen. Well, it was about 12 years ago, and uh, about this time of year, it was um, a time that I don't really ever want to repeat. I was in a hospital with my daughter, walking through the ravages of cancer, and it stunk. There's really nothing good about it. And I remember thinking to myself, um, I don't like this. I don't enjoy this. What good could possibly come from this? Always being in the hospital, then at home for a minute, then back at the hospital, and I remember grabbing this book. I was at a pastor's conference a few years beforehand. And um, it, was, it was a book written about the life of Job. And it was basically the book of Job redone to rhyme and meter, just like poetic. And I had brought it with me because I never slept. And I thought to myself, well, at least I can do something good <laughs> while I'm not sleeping. And so it was the middle of the night, and I've got this book open, and I just started reading, and, and all of a sudden, a knock on our door, and, and Jada is laying there in her bed. I'm next to her, sitting in my chair, and I'm like, hey, we have an emergency. Um, there's a life flight. Since you guys are stable and just receiving infusions, we're going to move you to a different wing of the hospital. And so it was, you know, middle of the night, wake-up call, get on a gurney, 
and get rolled to a different room. And, and then she's awake, and she's feeling what she's experiencing. And so she's like, could you just read to me? And, and I'm reading something poetic and deep to a six-year-old. And I remember reading this, this chunk, this little passage right here. And it's, it's telling the story, if you flip in Job to chapter 1, verse 5, there's this place where it talks about how Job regularly made sacrifices for his children because he just wasn't sure if in all their partying they had offended God. And so he just wanted to atone for their sin. Like any good parent just trying to like bring their kid before the throne of God. And here's the phrase. It's God having a conversation with Job. And he says, would you be willing, Job, to part with all your children if in my deep counsel I should judge that by such severing more good would be and you would know far more of me. And so I laid there and I began to ponder surrender. What does it look like? What is surrender? To give you just a little bit of a definition of where we're headed this morning, surrender means this, to give up completely and I love this next part or agree to forego especially in favor of another I don't know what you're holding on to this morning but I can guarantee there's something that you can surrender I guarantee it my hope today is to help us see that formation happens on the other side of surrender I want to be formed into the image of Christ. Hopefully you do too if you're here. And formation into his image happens on the other side of surrender. You can open in your pew Bible to page 11. Uh, We're going to be in Genesis 16 for a good chunk of our time today. We're going to be looking at really uh, Sarah, Abraham, or Sarai, Abram, and Hagar uh, for a good portion of our time. Most of our time is going to be spent on talking about Hagar. But we are going to touch on the other ones. We're going to be looking primarily at three different things. that uh, Life, wilderness, and surrender. Life happens to all of us. You know, um, wilderness, no one sees or hears me and what I'm walking through. Or surrender, I just have to lay it down. Those are the three things we're looking at. So if you'll join me. In reading the Word of God, we'll start with Genesis chapter 16. I'll read the first six verses. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. There's a lot of really confusing, backed up stuff there. So we're just going to acknowledge that like ancient cultures are much different, but no less twisted than our own, okay? <laughs> so, uh, and, and if I'm Abram and my wife says to me, hey, I'd like you to have this other woman, I'm like, uh, this feels like a trap, <laughs> And the answer is, it is. I I don't know a single example in Scripture where more than one marriage happened to a person 
that it worked out well. Uh, multiple spouses, like I have one spouse, still, still trying to figure that one out. So it's not easy, okay? <laughs> I mean that kindly, right? Uh, anyway, and he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Really? You're moved from one status to another uh, by no really great skill of your own, and now you're going to be prideful about it. There's all sorts of, of nasty in this little passage. And, uh, and Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. And he's like, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought you encouraged this. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me or between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Like any good man, he's just going to pass the buck. Behold, your servant is in your power. Do, do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. There's a lot to unpack there, but we're not going to get into all the gritty details. I just want to make some observations about Sarai, Abram, and then Hagar. But let's start with the fact of where Genesis 16 picks up. Only a few chapters earlier in Genesis chapter 12, um, Abram is called by God to leave his place of residence and to go build a life with a family he doesn't have at 75. Like, hey, I need you to go move to this place. He doesn't even say, I need you to just plug in these coordinates on your phone and then arrive there. He actually says, I'm going go to go to a place I'm going to tell you. When was the last time someone said to you, go to a place I'm going to let you know as you're going? You're like, uh, I, I don't enjoy that. That's like a lack of control I'm not a big fan of. But Abram says, okay, I'm game, I'm down, let's do it. And so he, he takes off. Genesis 16 picks up 10 years later. 10 years later, and this promise of you're going to have a child still hasn't happened. Abram doesn't seem to be overly concerned or anxious about it. Sarai, on the other hand, does. And so here's Sarai. She's trying to use culturally acceptable, but not God-approved methods of receiving what God said he would give. You see, servants or slaves in those days were commonly used as surrogate parents if there was problems conceiving. So it wasn't outside the norm. It wasn't like people on the outside were going, oh, what are you doing? They were like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And so in that light, she wasn't acting crazy. And then Abram, I mean, honestly, he's fatally neutral. He's like, well, I mean, I guess if I have to sleep with another woman... (laughs) And, and then he just does what he's told to do. And then when he gets to a point that he sees that it causes trouble, he's like, well, actually, what? Uh, she's your problem. Really? Like, you don't bear any responsibility at this point? And then there's Hagar. It says that when she conceived, she looked on contempt with her mistress. Actually, in the Hebrew, it carries this connotation of like she looked with dishonor on her mistress. So she looked at Sarah and she's like, whatever. You couldn't even do this. Now it's totally confirmed. The problem's not Abraham. The problem's you. So think of what she must be thinking. Who would have guessed that a baby could be the center of so much turmoil? 
Life comes at you fast, doesn't it? Can we just acknowledge life comes at us super fast? Whether it's things that we've done, uh, all sorts of um, problems in our life can come by way of our choices. And we can find a year later, two years later, five years later, that we are like, how did we get here? Well, let me just tell you, we all find ourselves in need of surrender, every one of us. So then we pick it up in the second part of verse 6, and I'll read through the end of the chapter. It says, But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And then right here, Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water, or a well, in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. Now check out what the Lord says to her. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Last thing I want to hear. Lord, rescue me out of this hardship. Get me out of this pain. Go back there. Go back there. I've not left there. I've not departed. The promise of my presence supersedes even the difficult circumstances that you're facing. Go back there. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, everyone's hand against him. Super uh, not comforting thoughts, right? <laughs> like your son's just going to have a struggle from the day he's born. Have you paid attention at all to the Middle East? Still going, okay? And it says, everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. How awesome is that? And therefore the well was called Bir Lahorai. And it lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. So she's in the wilderness and I, I think it bears stating just this simple reality that our sin, our circumstances, they're, they're going to drive us to the wilderness. They just will. And so we pick it up with Hagar. It says that she fled. And she's, you know, when she's found by God, God's like, hey, what's, what's happening? She's like, I'm fleeing. I'm, I'm, I'm escaping. Hagar wants out of her life circumstances. If this could just be different, if you could just dislodge me from this place of discomfort, from this place of pain, then, then everything would be better. Everything. The term fled in, in Hebrew actually means to, to run or move quickly away so as to escape. So, truth to life for your own heart. Do you want to flee your present reality? 
Is there something that's happening in your life, whether by your own choice because of your own sin or something that's being done to you that you're just thinking, sure would be nice to just hit the easy button or the eject button and get out. Whatever it might be, that's what I want. I love what happens when she gets to the point of naming Ishmael. He says, you're going to call him Ishmael because the Lord has heard or listened to your affliction. The name literally means God hears. So just, just go with me in, in your mind to this place of like why you, if you're a parent, why did you name your kid a particular name? Some of us, we just wanted rhyming names. Cool. Um, I always get confused with the families who have like 10 kids and then like all the boys start with a certain letter or something like that. I'm like, oh, it's just too much. But there are others of us who named our kids for some deep meaning. There was something there. We, we wanted their name to mean something. So here's the Lord saying, name your kid Ishmael. And it means God hears. So every time she's like ringing the dinner bell, like, hey, Ishmael, oh, God hears me. Or he's being disobedient and he needs to be wrangled in. Ishmael, come here. Oh, God hears me. Every time she's saying his name, God hears. God hears. She, it's, it's a constant reminder. How kind of the Lord to do that. It's awesome. And it says he listened to her affliction. Now, affliction really means just the cause of your hardship. It's not just the hardship itself. It's like, what brought it about? And you're like, well, why is that a, a big deal? And, and I would just say it this way. I think it's a big deal because God is always more concerned with the attitude than what caused it. Your response to the hardship that you're facing, whether you caused it in your own sin or not, God's always imminently concerned how you're responding. You see a little bit of this, the, the same word, affliction, you see in 1 Samuel 1.11, in an almost parallel circumstance where there is Hannah who is barren and not having children, and she has a husband who has another wife. Again, sorry about that. It's hard to track. <laughs> but uh, there's jealousy and bitterness and all sorts of stuff. But Hannah does what Sarai should have done. She's pouring out her weeping before the Lord, her lament, her difficulty in, in 1 Samuel 1.11. And she's like, hey, look, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to give my child back to you. Should you give me a child, this is, he's devoted to you. And the Lord honors it. So there's the escape that happens in the wilderness. We just go there and we want to escape. Then there's this pursuit of God, where it says that God finds her by the well or by this spring, and he says, where have you come from and where are you going? Like that, those sound kind of like some uh, interesting questions. Maybe frame it this way to understand it differently. I, I think God is saying, what have you tried, or what's your past, and what are you hoping for? Where have you come from? What's happened to you? Where are you going? How are you trying to fix it? I love that. I love just the understanding that God, God locates her with questions. He doesn't come in being like, Ugh, Hagar, we've had this conversation. Time to go back. Let's get back to work. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like, just get the program. Like, get with the program. Let's go. He's like, no, where have you come from and where are you going? What's happened? Why is it so hard? What are you looking toward? Wow. Our God is eminently kind even in our foolishness, isn't he? 
He really is. And so he just pursues us. And so truth to life, Ishmael. God hears every time she calls his name. And I think there's probably just two things that I would say. Number one, don't despise the wilderness. Like, well, I, I, I don't want to go there. I don't, I don't like feeling out of control. I'm not a big fan of, uh, of having to surrender things. And just don't despise the wilderness. Because the wilderness is what brings the desperation. You are not desperate for God until you get to a place where you've got nothing but him. Trust me. And then the second thing is that there is one who went to the wilderness willingly so that you don't have to ultimately. Are you tracking with me? Mark, or Matthew 4, Luke 4. Jesus, led by the Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil overcomes. So he goes to the wilderness, so I don't have to. Meaning, I don't have to stay in the place of wilderness because my faith, my trust, is not in what I can somehow procure or provide or make happen. It's him. It's surrender to him. He offers himself as the well of living water. Jesus loves to find people near wells. You see it in Genesis. You see it in John 4. Destitute, broken. And he's like, here I am. Going to the wilderness on your behalf. So life, wilderness, finally surrender. And really where I get the title of the message, lay down your baby. (laughs) In Genesis 21, and I'm just going to read the passage briefly, 21, starting at verse 8, going through uh, verse 21. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abram, Abraham, now his name is changed, made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abram, Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. If you're looking for more context, just write down Galatians, and read all of Galatians, and you'll start to grasp a little bit of what's happening here. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning. Can I just say, when God tells you to do something, why put it off? Why put it off? This, it's the same phrase that we see when God tells him to go sacrifice Isaac in, in Genesis, I think it's 22, next chapter, where it says he rose early in the morning. So like God says, do something, he does it. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk to my friends. I'm going to send a couple of texts and find out if they're okay if we have... Do it, okay? I, 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 as pastorally and lovingly as I can say, just do it. Move toward the Lord when he calls you. Your delay is really the problem. I think when we delay, we end up in this place of like, we can create all sorts of excuses and all sorts of questions and all sorts. 
God wants your questions along the way of obedience, not to get to obedience. I just think, I know myself, and that's to me. But I'm sure there's at least one person in here who might identify with me. So he rose early in the morning, took some water, a skin of water, and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child. Now, it should be noted that this is when the child was weaned, which would have been about three years old. So it's not like she's, it's not like Abraham is saying, okay, you know, here's Ishmael. And like, he would be like 16-ish at this point. Okay, so it's like dragging the child who doesn't want to go, here's your child. Okay, that's, okay, any of us who have teenagers know if they don't want to do something, they're probably not going to do it. And you, so there's a little bit here that's like, this is pretty powerful what's happening. And she departed and wandered again in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. So again, don't, don't picture like laying down a baby. Picture dragging a teenager who's so uh, tired and worn out and about ready to die. And she puts him underneath a bush and then she goes off about a bow shot, you know, 50-ish yards away. And she sits down and she raises her lament and she's like, what in the world? And the child is crying too, like, what's going to happen? She sat down opposite him, a good way off, about a distance of bowshot, and she said, look, uh, let me not look on the death of my child. Let me escape. Interesting, huh? And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept, and God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you? So look at how kind God is. He again comes with questions. He, he, he is so merciful. He again comes with questions. He's like, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. So here's Abraham and Sarah now. They've now received the promise, the child. Sarah is jealous, and Abraham still passive. But those verses, in verses 14 through 19, they're really the fulfillment of Genesis 16:11 that God hears, and Genesis 16:13 that God sees. So it's not a light thing when someone says to you when you're going through something hard, hey, God sees you and God hears you. It's actually derived from this very text. And again, with these questions, like what troubles you, Hagar? I mean, how kind is God to do that? I think every one of us Every one of us in this room has something that's hard in our life. Or, or maybe I would just say it this way. I think every one of us has something that we hold on to that's hard to give to God. What might that be? What might that be for you? Something that you're holding on to, whether it's an action, whether it's an affection, whether it's a relationship that is not pleasing to the Lord, I'm not sure what it is. Whether it's a substance, 
I'm not sure. But I remember that night, 12 years ago, and I got done reading that. And it said, if in my deep counsel I should judge that by such severing, more good would be, and you would know far more of me. And I'm pondering, like, what is surrender? What is surrender? And my daughter's back is to me. And I'm thinking, she's asleep. And she says, hey, Dad? And I'm like, yeah, hey. And I'm weeping, because like, it's very parallel. My, my child is ill. What's God asking? That's what I'm thinking, right? Like, you, you see the connection. <laughs> and she says this. Seems like God always wants what's hardest to give. And then rolls over. I'm like, oh, thanks for giving me those comforting thoughts just before bedtime. Um, But I want you to know something. When Paul says in Romans 12, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Is there any other kind of worship that matters? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read in in Galatians 3, verses 3 through 6, uh, I'll, I'll just read the first verse of it uh, where Paul is talking to the Galatians who, who think that they can get closer to God by effort. And he says this, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Hey, look, it's about leaning into him. It's about surrendering to him. And so you might say, well, uh, how do I know what I need to surrender? A couple of suggestions. Number one, do you blame others or get jealous when the situation comes up? And you know it. Those are things that you probably can hide internally. um, But think Sarah. It was this woman. Like, I gave her to you and look what you did. and, And she keeps blaming. It's somebody else's fault. Or do you just want to brush something off or brush it under the rug or ignore it like Abraham? He's over here and he's like, well, I don't know. I mean, sure, servant, it's kind of your problem. Like you didn't sleep with her. Okay? Like he definitely had some culpability. But just I'm going to remain neutral. It's not a big deal. It's not that deep. Don't worry about it. No, no, no. It's just the problem is not a big deal. Just it's okay. It's okay. Or is, is running away or a change of scenery the most appealing option to you? If I could just get out of this job, if I could just get out of this house, if I could just be, you name it. And I like this thought. I think you can flip to the next slide, Andrew. Um, Go one more. Right here. The sin that's most destructive in your life right now 
is the one you're most offensive about. That's like a sucker punch to the gut, isn't it? And, and you could even replace the term sin because surrender is not just this idea of, Lord, I'm, I'm sinning against you because that obviously God wants our repentance. We want to be revived. We want something new and some change in our life, in our church. We want to see these things. Yes, it begins with repentance and turning from sin. But it could also be a, a situation or a circumstance. I mean, think of Hagar. What did Hagar do wrong? She, she did what she was told. And she was mistreated as a result. And so here she finds herself in this place. And I would just say, whatever is most destructive in your life right now is the one thing you're most offensive about. So think about like when it rises up, when someone's talking to you and there's like a little bit of a gristle inside, you don't want to hear it. Or someone like challenges you and you walk out of the room. That's what God wants. So as the worship team comes back up, um, they're going to they're gonna sing a song to close. Um, and when the song is finished, I'll come up and dismiss this with prayer. Uh, but a few things. Number one, um, you, you can take this time to just reflect on the song that they're going to sing. Or you can join and sing in if you'd like. But um, as we wrap up, even during the song, I'm going to be remaining down front. If people would like to come for prayer, because sometimes surrender is something where you need some help. So if, if people would like to come for prayer, we have people designated for prayer. So two different things are going to happen. Number one, um, I'll be available at the front if, if people would like to come down and pray. Uh, or if um, you just want to hang out afterwards, when I pray and dismiss people, um, there's going to be, uh, they're going to continue to play. And you could just stay in your seats as people leave, and we have a whole prayer team that's designated to just come find you and pray over you. No judgment, no challenging conversations, just prayer. And, and the last thing that I would do is, if you're newer here, and you've not considered um, what it means to fellowship with others, we, we do serve lunch, and that's a great way to connect. So I just encourage you, make your way out here, go get mine, get some food. There's tons of people who would be willing to sit with you and get to know you. So thank you. So Father, as we wrap up and leave here, would you help us to be as Abraham was who woke early in the morning and just set out to do what he was told? As we surrender, would you bring the fruit that comes by way of repentance? We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray like to stay behind for prayer, just stay in your seats and people will come find you.